Good morning. All right. Um, we're uh, journeying through what we're calling Three Years with Jesus, and today we start our third mini-series in the overarching big series of Three Years with Jesus. Uh, and this mini-series is called Following Jesus. We're going to do it for two weeks and then Advent, where, we're, where we will look at the early life of Jesus. Uh, primarily uh, during Advent, we'll be in Matthew 1 and 2, and then we'll jump back for a couple more weeks of following Jesus uh, before we move on to the next. Matthew 4 is a text we're looking at today. We're going to start in verse 18. Before we get there, I want to do a little background. What, what led up to this point? Because this uh, text we're looking at today is when Jesus calls his first disciples. And these first followers of Jesus uh, leave everything to follow this guy, and what led up to this point. So uh, Matthew 1 and 2, which we're going to look at in Advent, is Jesus' birth and early life. And then we have this huge gap uh, where we know little to nothing about the early life of Jesus, other than an episode that the Gospel of Luke tells us about uh, when Jesus was an adolescent and went to the temple. Uh, and so Matthew, in his Gospel, skips to Matthew chapter 3, and he talks about this guy named John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin. And John the Baptist comes, and the first thing John the Baptist does as a prophet speaking publicly, or at least the first recorded thing that we have of John the Baptist doing speaking publicly, is John the Baptist says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And uh, in the first century, in Israel, there were, there were these huge messianic expectations. Everyone was longing and waiting for the Messiah to come. There was this huge sense that God's Messiah would come, drive out Rome, and liberate us. And so when John the Baptist comes and says, repent for the kingdom is near, there was a sense of maybe this guy is God's chosen. Maybe this guy is God's anointed. Maybe this guy is God's Messiah. But John was very clear that he was not, and that there was one coming after him that was greater than he was, and that John wasn't even worthy to carry his sandals or untie his sandals, and, and that this one would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And this one, Jesus, came, and he came to John the Baptist to be baptized by John. And when he's baptized, the Spirit of God comes down and lights upon Jesus, and this voice from heaven says, this is my son, whom I love, and who, with whom I am well pleased. This happened in the Galilee region of Israel, uh, in the Jordan River, and there were masses of people around listening to John the Baptist, and observing what he was doing, and then seeing this guy Jesus come, and be baptized by John in this amazing event that happened with the Spirit coming upon Jesus and this voice from heaven. And so this was a clear indicator, this guy, maybe he is the one, maybe he is God's chosen, and then propels Jesus's public ministry. And the first thing Jesus says is the same thing John said, uh, chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, 
a number of weeks ago we talked about the word repentance because uh, I think it's gotten a bad rap. Um, and just because we said it once doesn't say, mean we shouldn't say it over and over again because I think uh, in order to shift our consciousness in, in what this word means, we need repetition. We need to remind ourselves of what repentance is because uh, I think uh, for many of us that grew up in a religious context, when we hear the word repent, we immediately feel a little bit of shame. And we immediately think, I'm bad, there's something wrong with me, and I need to change. That, that is not what Jesus was doing when he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What Jesus was doing was inviting people to become who he had created them to be. He was inviting them to turn away from that which takes away from what they're created to be and turn towards him and walk towards him and become more fully alive and become more of who God intended us to be from the beginning of the world. Repent is not shame on you, stop sinning. Repent is party language. Remember, the prodigal son goes away and when he comes back, they throw a party. Repentance is about turning away from that which breaks us down, which, uh, which pulls us away from God and is turning towards God and coming to the party that God is always throwing. Notice what uh, John Philip Newell says about repentance. He says, the inner experience of truth has the power to set us free. For it reveals not only the falseness that is within us, but the beauty and goodness that are deeper still. In repenting, we turn around, not to become someone other than ourselves, but to become truly ourselves. Uh, repentance allows us to live into who God truly created us to be. Or Linford Deadweiler says it like this. He says, the simultaneous cry of you must change your life and welcome home. Uh, Linford Detweiler, by the way, is uh, part of the band Over the Rhine. Any Over the Rhine fans? A uh, couple? All right. Um, the simultaneous cry of you must change your life and welcome home. Uh, repentance is about coming home. It's about coming back to that place you were always intended to be. It's, it's a beautiful thing, not a shame on you thing. It's an invitation to become whole. It's an invitation to become your true self. So all of this has taken place, and then, verse 18, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Uh, if I can have the next slide. This is an actual boat that was excavated out of the Sea of Galilee uh, probably about 15 to 20 years ago. They found this when uh, there was a drought in Galilee and uh, the water had sunk down and they discovered this in the mud and they very carefully pulled it out. It's unbelievable the process they went through to preserve this. They have now built an entire 
little museum around this boat, and it has been carbon dated to the exact time period of when Jesus walked the earth. And so uh, this was a very exciting archaeological find that they found a boat that would have been used by fishermen like Peter and James and Andrew. And uh, here's an artist's uh, replica of what a boat would have looked like in the first century. And so Jesus is walking by, and these first disciples are in the boat, and their occupation is, is fishing. And uh, Jesus says to them, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, this seems like such an extreme story. Like the, these first disciples have decided to immediately leave everything and follow this guy Jesus. Now it's likely they had heard John the Baptist speak. It's likely they were familiar with this guy Jesus who John the Baptist baptized. And so it's not like just some random guy walking along the Sea of Galilee says, follow me, and they left everything and followed him. There was probably this sense in them of, this could be the one. This could be God's chosen Messiah. Uh, there was definitely the sense of this is a rabbi. And this is a rabbi we want to follow. Now, in the first century, there was a whole system of education, the Jewish education system. And I want to walk you through it uh, quickly so you get a sense of what was going on. For Children ages 6 to 10, they entered what was called the Bet Sefer, which is the house of the book. And from ages 6 to 10, they memorized the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Can you imagine memorizing Leviticus and Numbers? Uh, if you haven't read them, a thrilling read. Uh, <laughs> highly recommend it. Um, they would memorize these five books, all five of them from ages six to 10. If they were able to memorize these five books and they were uh, doing really well, uh, they could move on to Bet Talmud, the house of learning, from ages 10 to 14, where the goal would be to memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. So all Genesis through Malachi. Uh, no joke. This is hardcore learning. Uh, placing God's word literally, within you, uh, on your heart. They would memorize this. If you were able to do that, and you were thriving as a student, you would then uh, hope to move on to Bet Midrash, the house of study, which would be to follow a known rabbi. And the way you would go about this is you would, it would be like an application process. You would go to a rabbi, and you would say, I want to follow you. And that rabbi would begin to quiz you and ask you questions. Uh, there's this whole part of uh, the Jewish education system called the art of questions. Rabbis ask questions, and a good rabbi often will respond with a question. Notice when you read through the Gospels, how often is Jesus asked a question, and how does he respond? He most often does not give a straight answer. He responds with a question, or sometimes a story, or sometimes both. Uh, and so, there would be this whole system to get to follow a rabbi. 
If you were uh, not able to do this, uh, what you would do is enter your family's trade. So uh, tending the vineyard, making wine, uh, tending the olive grove, making olive oil, tending to the sheep or the goats, uh, or fishing, becoming a fisherman. Uh, and so it, it's clear from the text that these four disciples, these first followers of Jesus, uh, hadn't made the cut. We, we don't know if they made it to Bet Talmud or not, but they certainly hadn't made it to Bet Midrash. They simply hadn't made the cut. And Jesus comes along and he says, follow me. And they immediately leave everything to follow him. There was a rabbi that came along that didn't require an application process. There was a rabbi that came along and said, I realize you weren't good enough to make the cut with other rabbis, but you're good enough to make the cut for me. There was a rabbi who came along and said, I don't care how well you did in school. I simply invite you to follow me. And they did. Because for Jesus, and hopefully for us, I think this is true. Discipleship is not about information, it is about formation. It's great to memorize scripture. We should memorize scripture. We should know the text well. We should study the text. But it's not about head knowledge. It's not about more information. We live in an information-saturated world. And that's simply not what Jesus invites us to. What Jesus invites us to is to change our lives and welcome home. We're invited into a different way of being in the world. Not simply regurgitating the right answer. Jesus didn't come to set up a belief system. Jesus didn't come to give us more information for our heads. Jesus came to invite us into a whole different way of being in the world. And he walks on the shore of the Lake of Galilee and he says, follow me, and they follow. Because here was a rabbi who wasn't sitting in a house of study, wasn't sitting in a synagogue, not going anywhere or doing anything. Here was a rabbi who had no home. Here was a rabbi who was itinerant and showed them the path, showed them the way of being fully human as they went along, not sitting around with desks and chairs and books getting more information. Jesus comes to show us a different way of being in the world, and he simply invites us to recognize that discipleship is about following him on the way. It's not about more information, and it's not about a belief system. It's about transformation of the heart and soul. It's about a holistic way of being with God, which of course includes information, of course includes studying and knowing the text and learning more about God and Jesus and his ways. But it's always, always for the purpose 
of putting it into practice. It's never for the purpose of being right, having the right answer, knowing the most. It's about living the way of Jesus because Jesus came and showed us the best possible way to live. And it's so much better than just regurgitating the right answers. So these disciples, they immediately follow Jesus. They left behind their occupation. They, they left behind, frankly, they left behind security. There, there was a secure future for them in the fishing industry. It had been in their family for generations and generations, probably. And, and they could be fairly certain they would be well provided for and be fine fishing for the rest of their lives. And Jesus says, I want you to leave that behind because I am inviting you to fish for people. I'm inviting you to spread the, the gospel of the kingdom around. I, I'm inviting you to share with others that God's shalom is at hand. That the way of peace and kindness and delight is present here and now and freely available to anyone who would want it. And they leave everything, dramatically leave everything behind and follow this itinerant rabbi, not knowing what the future would hold. The, the messianic expectations, as I mentioned, certainly were that the Messiah would come and drive Rome out. So their, their expectations, their hopes are, this is the guy who will drive Rome out, he will set up an earthly kingdom, and eventually, rather than sitting in a fishing boat, I'll be sitting in a palace. Little did they know that this way of Jesus would end in a cross and in death. Uh, had these first disciples known what would come three years later, do you think they would have immediately left everything and followed him? I don't know. Something to ponder. Uh, it certainly wasn't the path they expected when they left their nets and their boats and followed Jesus. Um, so this word left is afimi, which means to send away, release, remit, forgive, let go. Uh, I found it really interesting that uh, they left their nets, they released, they let go of, uh, they forgave. Uh, the, this uh, word is most often translated in the Gospels forgave. It just got me thinking about this path of discipleship and a, and a part of what this path of discipleship is. What, uh, for us, when we say yes to Jesus, and, and I believe this call, this call, follow me from Jesus, this isn't just a one-time call and, oh, I converted, I became a Christian, I got salvation, however you want to turn it. And I don't think that's what it is. I, I think this call, follow me, is a daily call. It's a moment-by-moment -moment call. Jesus invites us. Jesus is constantly whispering to us, follow me. Follow me. 
when you're in that conversation, when you get that email or text that just grinds on you, uh, Jesus is there saying, follow me. Follow me. When you're in traffic and that person cuts in front of you, the invitation, follow me. When you see that post and your gut reaction is to immediately type something in response, that the invitation is, follow me. Uh, and leave behind, forgive, release, let go of the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, whatever it may be. I, I wonder for you today, as you hear Jesus within you say, follow me. What is he inviting you to leave behind so that you can become more fully who he created you to be? What is the invitation from Christ to you today to release, to let go of, to forgive, and to experience more freedom and to follow Jesus? Uh, the, the invitation is moment by moment, day by day. Uh, our, so we live in Novato, and our oldest is in school right now in San Rafael, so I am the one that drives her five days a week in heavy traffic um, to get to San Rafael. And of course we get over into the carpool lane, which 50% of the time is moving just as fast as every other lane. Uh, and so by the time we get to our exit, I have to get across four lanes of traffic to get off at our exit. And so it's a blinker on, slowly moving over, and man, I tell you, I, every day, every day there's those people who see my blinker and whoo, speed right up so I don't get in front of them. And the, <clears throat> like, oh, you would be two seconds later to work, wouldn't you? Two seconds later to work, thank you very much, human being. <clears throat> created in God's image, <laughs> who I love and forgive and sometimes want to give the finger to. Uh, what, what does it look like moment by moment to say yes to the invitation? Follow me. Follow me. It's the constant invitation for us. We're, we're not in the first century. We're not in a fishing boat. Uh, th there are those uh, of us, certainly, in our context, in our day, where we hear a clear follow me, and it does mean leave your job. It, it does mean something dramatic. But for the most part, day by day, moment by moment, for us, it's simply, in this moment, will you follow me? In this moment, will you choose the way of grace rather than the way of anger? In this moment, will you choose kindness? In this moment, will you choose love? In this moment, will you choose hope rather than despair? Uh, in this moment, will you choose to follow Jesus? Because it's the constant invitation. Follow me. Follow me. Uh, let's look at the next slide. 
This comes from a guy, uh, Brett Younger. He says, we can hear Jesus' call to follow me, even in the cluttered busyness of our days. We cannot be sure that any decision is unimportant because the sacred is present in the ordinary. Every moment matters because life is holy. God speaks to us in the ordinary and the routine. No event is so commonplace that God is not present. When we decide to pray instead of turning on the computer or any device, to say something kind instead of something clever, to offer help when we do not have to, grace comes in unexpected deeds. Uh, I love that every moment matters because life is holy. God speaks to us in the ordinary and the routine, no event is so commonplace that God is not present. Uh, we're simply invited to wake up and see and experience God's presence in the ordinary, in the mundane, in the everyday, because every moment is holy. Uh, every moment is gift. Every breath is gift. Uh, every moment is grace. Uh, <clears throat> let's move to the last slide, Kate. I hate this quote. <clears throat> Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who was killed uh, by the Reich, says when Christ calls a person, he bids him come and die. Um, for us uh, today in Marin, uh, I doubt any of us are going to die for the name of Jesus today, uh, but we're all invited to. And here's what I mean by this, not physically die, but the invitation to let go, to die to self, and to truly live for Christ. Uh, what are the many deaths you're invited to today? Uh, the death to self, the, 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 what feels like death because it hurts, but you know it's the best thing to do. You know it's the right thing to do. You know it's the better way of being in the world. You know it's the Jesus way of being in the world. When, when Christ calls us, he bids us come and die. Uh, the way of Jesus is the way of self-giving love. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. It's the way of saying, I surrender myself fully and completely to you, Jesus. Empower me by your spirit to say yes to you and to allow myself to die to self. This death to self is really a death to that which is not truly you. It's a death of the false self so that you can become more fully the true you who God intends you to be. Uh, I wanna invite you this week to simply reflect on what is it 
that Jesus is inviting you to leave, to let go of, to forgive, to release? And what is it that Jesus is inviting you to say yes to this week as you follow him? Uh, Jesus did experience death for us on our behalf. It, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This morning, as you come and take a piece of bread and dip it in this cup, my hope and my prayer for you is that you will experience this Jesus once again saying to you, follow me. Follow me. God, thank you for this story about these first disciples who were willing to leave everything to follow you. And some of them ultimately experienced death themselves because of you. God, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit and give us wisdom and discernment and point us in the right directions, God, on what it means to follow you in our age and in our day. As we go to work or school or the soccer field or the grocery store or driving, God, empower us to say yes to your call each moment and each day. God, we thank you for the life of Jesus. Thank you for his death and the cross. And thank you for the power of his resurrection and the promise of a good and new future where you make all things right. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.